just for you to be aware kind of how I operate, um, there are inside of the worship guide an outline for those of you who are note takers. I realize that for some of you that may not be your thing and that's okay, but uh, if you are a note taker, then uh, there will be uh, some things that show up on the screen for you that help you kind of track with, uh, with what I'm doing. So about four months ago, I met with the transition committee shortly after Cole had resigned to introduce IPM. I wasn't there to uh, suggest that I would come. That came later. I was really just there supporting the organization and saying, uh, you ought to consider using IPM. And someone on that council asked a very astute question. Here's, here's what the question was. So why shouldn't we do this? <laughs> and I answered, well, if you're saying, you know, yeah, we could use some help, but we got this, then don't do this. Well, I'm happy to report that the transition committee, the leadership at First Divan, and you as a congregation have said, we want help and we want to get better. And I'd like to encourage you with the fact that you're in good company. This week, Tom Brady said, and by the way, some of you, I, I realize he's a controversial guy, but you can't argue with his record. Tom Brady said this this week. It is so easy to blame someone else. General managers, head coaches, players, quarterbacks, receivers, defense, offense. It's hard to say, I didn't get the job done. And we collectively didn't get the job done. I picked a team where everybody's like, hey, we got to get better. It's not, I got all the answers. And that's what your leadership has declared. We want to take a season to ask the Lord how we can become more what he intends. And I say bravo to that. Further, I believe that you, the First of Anne congregation, want to do the same thing, to get better. Which raises a question. So, how can we make the most of this season between our former pastor and pastor next? Great question. There is a passage that I'm drawn to. It's not the sum of what I would say, but there is a passage that I'm drawn to that speaks to this question. It's in the book of Proverbs. Here's what it says. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Now, you'll understand a little later how that connects to our question, how can we make the most of this time, all right? But let's just unpack this verse first. So in this verse, we have a contrast. First, there is someone who is an enemy, that's someone who desires your harm. He wants to work you into a corner where you do what's going to hurt you. And he will use affirmation, that's kisses, to lure you. By contrast, a true friend wants what's best for you. He may say or do something that hurts, that wounds. Now, Proverbs uh, are Hebrew wisdom literature, which use something called parallelism to make their point. In this case, it's antithetical parallelism, meaning that there's, uh, there's an item that is talked about, and it is contrasted with something else. An enemy deceives. A true friend warrants trust. In other words, the enemy is going to kiss you. He's going to do something that makes you feel good, but his kisses are deceitful. You can't trust them. But when a friend, a true friend, 
who has regard for your good wounds you, his wounds are worthy of trust. That's what it means by faithful. When a true friend says something that hurts, you can actually take refuge in the fact that I trust him and therefore I trust what he's doing. Now, what this proverb is saying is that trust maximizes the benefit you can receive from a faithful wound. It's actually possible for someone to say something as a true friend that hurts, but if you'll trust, it's possible to actually extract from that great benefit. If I was to say it in a, just a simple statement, it's this. Trust magnifies, maximizes the benefit of a true friend's words or deeds that hurt. Who's your best friend? Jesus. He's our best friend. He's a perfect friend. Here's a passage that says as much. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. And by the way, Jesus has laid down his life for every person in this room. Friendship doesn't get any better than that. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, by the way, that's not a conditional statement in which he's saying, I'll be your friend if you do what I want. What he's saying is, those who are my friends, this is the effect, this is the result. They do what pleases me. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that you that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is saying, you're my friends. So I'm going to talk straight with you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. If Jesus is our perfect friend, and he is, there are times when he is going to say things that are hard to take or do things that hurt. But when he does, you can trust him. He's got your good. He's got your back. He's going to do something that will help you. It's possible in this season that we are going to enter into that there will be many things that Jesus tells us that are very encouraging, but there may be some things that hurt. There may be some ways in which he challenges things that we think. But he's our true friend. And faithful, worthy of trust are the wounds of a friend. Now, what I'd like to do is actually show you an example. It's an illustration of this principle. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. I'm going to show you a perfect illustration of the faithful of, are the wounds of a friend. And to do that, we're going to go to a passage in the New Testament where this actually happens right before our very eyes. You can see how this works, and we can extract some lessons from that that will help us to receive well what Jesus wants to give us. When Jesus says something that is hard to hear or does something that is hard to take, he works to promote our good. Those are faithful wounds. And if you'll trust him, you can unlock powerful benefits from those wounds. Uh, two months ago, I was involved in a bicycle accident. Uh, I was going about 25 and had just about finished the route and uh, was, you know, coming home. And about four doors uh, away from our house, uh, the neighbor's dog 
This was not an attack dog. This is a love dog. You know what I mean? And the love dog was coming straight for me, and I don't know what happened, but I hit the pavement. And I had road rash all over. My ribs are, you know, unhappy. My, my shoulder is not happy. Um, I'm currently working with a physical therapist, and sometimes it hurts. Uh, for example, they want me to... Now, I, I can raise it this far, but they want me at all, and it's already hurting. <laughs> they want me to do that. But I trust my physical therapist, and I keep at it, and it is helping, because when I started, I could raise it about like this. <laughs> but I can get to here now. Oh, that hurt. I can get to here now. <laughs> Jesus does that. He is the ultimate spiritual therapist. And I'm going to show you this passage that reveals, we actually get to see his technique as not a physical therapist, but a spiritual therapist. So if you're not already there, join me in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 22, and we are going to see a friend who wounds and whose wounds are trustworthy, but in this instance, the person who is wounded doesn't trust the one who gave the wound. Let's read the passage. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Now, what do we know about this man? This is a case of uh, what's called triple tradition, meaning that this is a, uh, an account that is found in both, in this case, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we can pull together details from all three passages to help us understand what happened. So what do we know about this man? Well, the first thing is that he's young. Probably means he's in his 30s, could be late 20s. Also, according to Matthew, he's rich, he's well off. According to Luke 18, 18, he's a ruler, which means he holds a position of influence. We don't know exactly what role or title he had, but he occupied a position of influence in which he could issue an order and others would have to follow. According to the account in Mark and in Luke, he says, I've kept all these things from my youth. In other words, he wasn't someone who had gone off the rails and then came back. He is someone who has a track record of, I've been following the law all of my days. In the Mark account, we learn two more things about him. It says he runs to Jesus. He hears that Jesus is coming and he just runs. And when he arrives, he knelt before him. By all outward appearances, this inquirer is admirable. He's young. He's wealthy. He's an influencer. He's upright. He's seeking Jesus. He's humbling himself before Jesus. 
And there's one more thing. This is from the Mark account. Mark 10, 21 says, And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. This man came and he ran up to him and threw himself at his feet. And Jesus, who already knows what's right and what's wrong about this man, he doesn't need the MRI. He's able to get right to it. And he sees this man and he loves him. Jesus is prepared to be a true friend for this man. Which means... If he says something that hurts, trust him. Now, here's the shocker. All of us, if we saw this young man and we lived in that community, we would go, oh, this is the one. I mean, everything about this guy shouts, he's it. Here's the shocker. Spiritual cancer is inside this young man. He doesn't see it. But Jesus does. The text doesn't tell us explicitly why this young man came to Jesus. What, what did he expect to hear? But the text does tell us his response from the Mark passage. But at these words, his face fell and he went away grieved. Jesus, whatever Jesus said, we'll unpack that in a minute, but whatever Jesus said... It was like the life was just sucked out of him and he was grieved. He'd been gut punched. He was grieving and not grateful. Because what Jesus had just done is given him the wounds of a true friend, as you'll see. And he should have been saying, oh, that is so helpful. I had no idea what was inside of me. But I see it now. Did he come seeking Jesus' endorsement or approval? We can do that, can't we? We as a church can do that. God, we want you to prove all we are and do, as opposed to saying, tell us what we need to hear. Clearly, he did not want Jesus' direction, and he did not trust the faithful wounds of his friend, Jesus, and he walked away wounded but untrusting. So help, help us understand, Jim, uh, his heart condition. What, what it, you said he's got cancer of the soul. What's going on there? All right, there's his first cancer clue is that he betrays his use of selective obedience. His question to Jesus was, uh, you know, Jesus said, keep the commandments. And he says, which ones? In other words, some of God's commands, keep those. Others of God's commands, ignore those. That's a problem because all sin is poison. Listen to this verse from Jeremiah. Your iniquities have turned these away and your sins have withheld good from you. Sin takes away what's good. All sin does that. So when this guy is saying, you know, well, which ones should I obey? What, what things that are right should I do? And what are the ones I can ignore? Basically, what he's saying is, how much poison can I drink? How much lethal poison can I drink? All sin is harmful. It's toxic. It withholds our good. And he wants to know if he can adjust some, but not too much. 
<laughs> as opposed to how can I get as much distance between me and that stuff as possible? The second cancer clue is that he is self-deluded about his compliance with love your neighbor as yourself. You know, he said, I've done that. I got it. Nailed it. So when Jesus says, well, then give your stuff to the poor. I mean, go, sell, give to the poor. And he walks away basically saying, can't do that. He's just shown that his sense of self-righteousness is misplaced. He's deluded. It betrays his devotion to things. Here's his core problem, all right? We take these two clues. His core problem is that he is not keeping the first commandment. The first commandment is stated negatively, no other gods. Stated positively, love the Lord your God with all your heart. He loves his stuff more than God. That's his problem. Now, by the way, let me just add a footnote so we understand the Ten Commandments. They were not given to Israel as a means by which to earn redemption. They were given to Israel because obedience to them is the fruit of redemption. When God spoke to Israel, he said, I have redeemed you from the house of slavery. Therefore, love me with all your heart and do these things. Obedience is the fruit of redemption. And this guy has missed it. So what's Jesus' prescription? Let's understand this, all right? Now, I think in your printed notes it says five commands. There's actually four because one's a helping verb. Uh, Jesus is the perfect physician, and he prescribes a spiritual MRI that this individual is going to self-administer. Now, in my case, you know, we had an MRI, and they said, you've got a torn labrum, and that's why we're going to have to do therapy and stuff like that. Jesus is going to give this man a diagnostic tool that can reveal two things. You think you've been keeping the commandments you mentioned? Here, let's do this test, and it will reveal how well are you actually keeping those commandments that you just said, oh, yeah, I've been keeping those since my youth. Let's get an honest self-assessment here. And second, he is going to say, I'm going to give you a protocol, and if you will use it, you can actually discern how well are you following the core command, love the Lord your God, no other gods before me. So here's what the diagnostic tool is. It consists of four commands. Go, sell, give, and come follow. And come is actually a helping verb to the, the imperative follow. If you wish to be complete, go, Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, Jesus doesn't say this, but it's very clear from the account. Your response to commands 1, 2, and 3 will reveal the true state of your love for your neighbor. If you can go, sell, and give, that's going to tell me if you really do love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see the connection? And then he says, come, follow me. And that tells us to what extent does he love God or love his stuff. By completing exercises one, two, and three, go, sell, give, this man would clearly demonstrate that he truly does love his neighbor as himself. By completing exercise four, come, follow, he would clearly demonstrate who or what is his God. 
But this was not what the man wanted to hear. Jesus was being his true friend. He was actually telling them, there's something toxic inside of you that's got to go. And if you do one, two, three, you'll see it. And if you do number four, you'll see it. Jesus was being his true friend, but telling him what was hard to hear. Those were faithful wounds. What was the result? He went away grieving because he could not bring himself to trust the words of Jesus who said, if you want to take it to the next level and be complete, do exercises one, two, and three, followed by four. He did not regard those as faithful wounds of a true friend. He didn't trust Jesus. And by so doing, he forfeited an incredible benefit. Do you remember that little phrase? I've skipped over it. Go, sell, give, and you will have treasure in heaven. This guy's an idiot. <laughs> Stuff? I mean, I will happily give all... You can come up afterwards, I guess. I will happily give you all my stuff. We're trying to simplify even now. And it's challenging. And I can do that and have treasure in heaven where I will dwell for a million years and it's just getting started? <laughs> That's what this man gave up. I love my stuff so much at the cost of treasure in heaven. There's no comparison. Now, I don't know if this man ever had a change of heart. We don't know that. We'll find out, I suppose, in heaven. But can you imagine the sadness of Jesus? Remember, this man came up and fell before him, and Jesus loves him. And Jesus sees what's in his heart. And he says, do this and do this, and you'll see it too so that you can deal with it and address it and have treasure in heaven. And the man walks away because Jesus didn't tell me what I want to hear. I cannot imagine the sadness of Jesus in that moment. And yet that moment is repeated thousands of times every day by those whom Jesus loves because Jesus loves everyone enough to die on the cross for them. And those who say, no, not interested. What must be the grief of Jesus' heart? But what about us? What can we take away from this passage? Well, we're getting ready to embark on a journey together. I don't know if people are already asking, so when are we going to get our pastor? And my answer is, I don't know. God knows. Ask him. <laughs> We're getting to ready to embark on a journey together. And we want to benefit from whatever Jesus says. We want his guidance. We need his guidance. Get this. But we won't tap into the benefit of Jesus' words when they wound if we don't trust him. We've got to take to heart whatever God says, even when it hurts or challenges our thinking. Originally, I, at the beginning of this sermon, I asked this question. How can we make the most of the season between our former pastor and pastor next? Here's the answer. By inviting Jesus to tell us whatever he thinks we need to know 
to become more what he desires. This includes inviting him to tell us what might hurt so that we can get better as his people. Now, let me explain something that I will... I'm not going to say I do this in every sermon, but it will be pretty common. And so this is kind of a sidebar. I am reasonably convinced that the majority, if not every person in this room, would say... I want Jesus to tell me whatever he wants to tell me, even the things that hurt. I'm already there, Jim. That's the ought. This is what we ought to do. We ought to say, Jesus, tell me whatever you think I need to hear, even if it hurts. And I think the majority of you are there. So one of the things that I will do in a sermon is I will give you the hows. I already know we ought to. Just help me figure out how to become more that. And so I'm going to give you four hows right now, and that will be something that shows up in a lot of messages. These are exercises you can do. You know, they got me on pulleys and things like that for my arm. There are exercises that can give maximum benefit from faithful wounds, and I'm going to show you four, all right? Number one, clear your hearing. Basically, what I mean is make a policy decision to obey God before you hear what he has in mind. This is actually like giving someone a blank check. Here, God, I'll put my name on it. You write in what you want. Now, listen to this verse. This is John 7, 17. It says, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. In other words, if you will make a policy decision, God, I will obey whatever you tell me. So tell me, then you will recognize the voice of God. If you're saying, God... Tell me what you want me to do first, and then I'll decide if I'm going to do it. You're not going to recognize the voice of God. So how can you grow your ability to respond well when Jesus tells you hard things? Decide before he does, I'm going to obey. That's not an option. I'm going to do what God wants. I'm all in. Exercise number two, face forward. We did clear your hearing. Now face forward. Optimize targeted truth reception by proactively facing him. Now, let me give you an example of uh, how I do that. Now, here's a verse, Jeremiah 32, or, uh, yeah, 32, 33. They have turned their back to me and not their face. Though I taught them, teaching again and again, they would not listen and receive instruction. They, they turned their back to God. They left the earbuds in. And instead... Adopt the posture of a learner and ask for guidance and then read his word. Now, I'm going to show you an example. I grabbed this off a stack. I have a whole bunch of these. You can see this is a, a book that has hundreds of pages in it. And so this is one way that I actually do this. Uh, this one, I looked it up, is from 2006 to 2009. And again, I have decades of these things, <laughs> but they're fun to read. Uh, so what I do in the morning, most mornings, is I get up and I'm reading a section of the word. And I say, God, I will obey what you tell me before you tell me. See, I've already done number one, haven't I? Clear your hearing. And then I face forward and I read his word. Sometimes the very first verse I read is in neon and has my name on it. <laughs> so I write it in this book. And then I write out, here's what God is telling me, because I don't want to lose it, because write it down or lose it forever. And it, uh, as I'm aging, as are you, it's very easy for that to happen within minutes. So write it down or lose it forever. So that's what I do in this book. So I can actually go book, 
go back and I can find places where I've written the verse and then I've said, here's what God is telling me. Here's some guidance he's giving. Here's an insight because I want to make sure that I nail that and get a hold of that and live it. Exercise number three is leverage resistance. Now, this one relates to um, not words as much as circumstances. This is about converting obstacles into progress. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Undesirable outcomes, difficult circumstances, trials can be faithful wounds. Trusting these and moving them from liability to asset actually accelerates the progress. When I recognize challenging circumstances, not as a liability, but an asset, because they're all father-filtered. He's giving me something that's designed to help me make progress in the Lord. This is a benefit. And I am confident that there are many in this room right now who are walking through difficult circumstances. Uh, you know, I see Pradeep, and I think to myself, how many times do you have to have the door? I mean, this seems like this is what God wants us to do, and yet we're getting no, no, no. I don't know the why, but I know the who. I know who's in charge. The key to doing well when God hands us circumstances that are not what we have chosen is not in understanding what they're about, but in simply trusting him. God loves me. God loves you. Look at the cross for proof. God could not do anything more than he's already done to demonstrate how much he loves us. He knows what he's doing, so trust him. About 10 years ago, our son was diagnosed with cancer, and it was not good. But trusting Father was the only way to keep moving forward. God, I don't understand why, but I understand who, and I trust you. You love us, and you are promoting our good. So we will move through this, and apparently this is going to produce something in us that is good. Exercise number four is shun endorsements over direction. This was the sad young, and I'm calling him the sad young ruler, not the rich young ruler, because he went away sad. This was the sad young ruler's problem. Don't ask the Lord for guidance if there are options you've already ruled out for a lack of trust. God, I want to know your direction. But I've already done this. I've already decided if it's this, not happening. If you do that, you will waste a good wound. And you go into God's, uh, you know, prolonged learning program. <laughs> you get to learn it the easy way or the hard way. You get to choose that. That you're going to learn it, no choice. This is what happened to Israel after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. In 585, uh, 584, they were wrestling with the question, the remnant, all right, what should we do? Should we stay here or should we go to Egypt? And it says, the remnant sought the Lord. Then they said to Jeremiah, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with the whole message with which the Lord your God will send you to us. Jeremiah asked God what we should do. We really want to know what we should do and whatever he says, we're in. So Jeremiah sought the Lord for 10 days. He brought a message to them. The message was basically, don't go to Egypt, stay put here in Israel. 
Here's their response from Jeremiah 43.2. Azariah, the son of Hashiah, and Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the arrogant men said to Jeremiah, you are telling a lie. <laughs> the Lord, our God, has not sent you to say you're not to enter Egypt and reside there. They had already decided what God could and couldn't say. They sought the Lord's endorsement, not his direction. And by the way, it did not end well for them, and it will not end well for us. So do these four things. Clear your hearing. Make a policy decision to obey before you hear. Face forward. Put yourself in front of his word and listen. Leverage resistance. Use trials to accelerate growth. And number four, seek direction, not endorsement. If you'll pick one and work on it this week, you'll actually start to move the bar on your wound trust, and you will grow in that regard. Now, let me clarify one thing. Well, two things. When Jesus wounds, it is fatherly correction. It is not payment for sin. That wound, Jesus has already borne on our behalf. According to 1 Peter 2, 24, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for, get this, by his wounds you were healed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and in this case, we have a true friend who took the wound. All who trust Jesus as Savior will never experience the wound Jesus received on the cross. Second clarification, Jesus has many other ministry tools that he can use. For example, he's the God of encouragement. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 6 says, Even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without, fears within, get this, but God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. He's not just the, the true friend who wounds. He's the God of all comfort. Now, who doesn't want comfort and encouragement? You know, I mean, wounds, hard sayings, difficult circumstances, uh, <laughs> not so much. So when we ask God to guide, we don't want to do that with a filter. Don't say, God, give us encouragement. He is the God of comfort. He does do that. But you don't want to say, give me encouragement, but don't tell me what we need to hear if it'll hurt. We take our cue from David, who prayed a high-risk prayer. He said this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my, thought, my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. That's an unfiltered prayer. That's, saying, that's someone saying, I'm inviting you, God, to look inside me. And if you see something that needs to change, tell me. I want to know. That is an unfiltered prayer. That is a high-risk prayer. Well, how does this relate to where we are as a church? Great question. Will we be like the sad young ruler who filters what God might say? Or will we trust our shepherd no matter what he tells us? Are we willing to enter into a season in which God tells us anything he thinks we need to know? Is your heart saying, yes, Lord, 
Tell us whatever we need to hear. Tell me whatever I need to hear. Tell us as a church whatever we need to hear. We're engaged in a process currently. At first, a group called the Transition Council is going to reach out to everyone who considers FEC their home. And we'll ask then, what are you sensing? And then we're going to ask God, God, what do you think? And we're going to pray a high-risk prayer and say, God, whatever we need to see to better become the church you want, that's what we want. We'll do that even as we're scouring his word for guidance from him. Remember exercise two. We want him to show us how to address issues from our past, how to embrace his plan for our future, and we're doing so yearning for a church, get this, for which there is no explanation but the hand of God. Right now, in this moment, we are inviting Jesus to tell us whatever we need to hear, even what might be painful to receive, and we're inviting him to do that because... We trust him. I know that the hearts of most, perhaps all in this room, are saying, agreed, no filter. Jesus, tell us whatever we need to hear, and we will embrace it and do it. So I am going to pray a prayer that declares precisely this to our Father. I am going to pray a high-risk prayer, like David's. What might it mean to father, to hear his children declaring as one our desire to receive whatever he chooses to give. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and pray with me as we pray a high-risk prayer saying, God, whatever you want to teach us, we're in. You ready? And if my words are expressing your heart, well, then you can uh, just pray in your spirit along with me. You ready? Let's pray. Father, we trust you. We trust where you are leading us. We are inviting you to tell us whatever you think we need to hear, even what is hard to hear. If there's something we should do to better become the people you desire, open our eyes. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You are our true friend today. This week, this year, we invite you to search us, our hearts, and point out anything that is less than what is worthy of you. Help us become a people for whom there is but one explanation, only by the hand of God. We have inclined our ears to you. We are waiting for your word. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.